0: Stephen Burke is the co-founder of Echo, the online pharmacy. If you haven't heard of Echo, it's a bit like Deliveroo, but for your medication. It delivers repeat prescriptions to your door, free of charge and hassle-free. It was acquired by McKesson, the group who owned Lloyd's Pharmacy in 2019. This is a really valuable conversation Stephen is hilarious, honest and gives a tasty inside scoop into the world of online pharmacy. We talk about how to improve patient adherence, how Echo rose to the top despite not being the first company of its kind by a long shot. Stephen's experience of making something cool but also accessible and how sometimes you need to listen to all of your friends advice, nod your head politely and then ignore all of it and take a big leap. I hope you enjoy. Could you tell me a little bit about your story? So perhaps take me from the beginning, um, take me through Echo and how you got to where you are today.
1: Sure, so I have no real background in health so don't come from a family of medics or pharmacists, never really had any interest in working in healthcare as a kid as a teenager you know in university i signed up to study economics and philosophy um and yeah i just wasn't really pulled towards health uh ironically or sort of paradoxically i have been taking medicine every day for my uh, of my life for the last 38 years so since i was a very very young kid I um, had pretty bad asthma and pneumonia. And then in my teens, uh, I developed clinical depression, uh, which then morphed in my mid 20s into generalized anxiety and panic disorder. And I'd been, I guess, a not a heavy user of healthcare systems, but a regular user, a daily user, um, a pretty typical user, I guess. Uh, and I never really gave it much thought. Um, I never you know really saw it as 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 something that i was fundamentally interested in it was just a cost of doing business um i think i've also had quite a lot of relative success in the healthcare system in terms of the treatment i've had over the years has, has worked quite well certainly my um my mental health is really um you know well managed by medicine uh and a mixture of that and talk therapy and so i um you know, it was just kind of plowing on with that. Uh, and, you know, re- relatively, relatively, uh, <clears throat> I guess, you in know, a, in a slumber about the opportunity, about the challenges, I just, you know, got on with stuff. Or, uh, as, as I'll tell you in a second, other people managed it for me. So I was working for a large corporate and I was making slides for a living and PowerPoint decks for meetings that I would never attend without getting any feedback on my output. Uh, And I saw a job pop up on the um, jobs board, Move Me On. So I don't know if you know Move Me On, it's targeted at consultants who are looking to, um, uh, I guess escape the classical corporate roles and go into something a little bit more dynamic, a little bit faster. And I saw a role there advertised for director of international expansion at a uh, practice called Dr. Tom. Tom is an obstetrician who, oh, goodness, it must have been in the early noughties, decided that healthcare could be done better online. So he's very much the pioneer in terms of what we now take for granted. He started with home chlamydia tests, which he uh, ran from his house, uh, famously, I think, aided by his uh, Charles nanny so they were packing chlamydia tests getting it out and it was um from there he, he broke into sexual health uh, erectile dysfunction which you know is now kind of a, a mainstay of online doctor world but um he really did pioneer and challenge a lot of the status quo a lot of the norms and was a huge advocate for the delivery of uh online healthcare questionnaires algorithms stuff we take for granted today uh in fact he launched i believe the first uh skype-based consultation as well Uh, and he had the conversations with the regulators he had the conversations with his peers he 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 really was a big pioneer so uh there was an opportunity to join that and it just sounded so fascinating it also sounded really scary I, i remember thinking oh goodness I'm not a doctor, is this safe, is this is this legit, is this the right thing to do? Um, Which is funny when we look back, you know, in a time of Babylon and Push Doctor and Acurix all doing incredible things. We were really nervous back then um, about pushing the status quo. So I joined um, Dr. Tom. Um, they had been acquired by Lloyd's Pharmacy uh, Parent Co. And my mission was to expand the service to um, uh, other markets. So uh, first place I went was Republic of Ireland, where we completely pivoted the service away from uh, erectile dysfunction uh, towards female hormonal contraception. And it just took off. It was just like, boom. Uh, and it was a really, really exciting time, because I was you know, running my own little unit within a a little unit within a very, very large business. So it was like having training wheels. I was getting my salary at the end of the month, but getting really a you know exciting startup feeling. And I uh, had a fantastic, um, a fantastic um, manager there who gave me lots of autonomy to get stuff done, called Rachel. Anyway, so I um, did that. I then tried to do the same thing in Australia and it was a massive disaster. <laughs> um, so, uh, Australia, it turns out, is on the other side of the world, uh, whereas Dublin is an hour away. It was really, really hard to just do anything out there being based in London. So, um, you know, if you take anything away from this, uh, it's you need to be on the ground. You need to be where your patients are if you're going to do digital health. You need to know what's going on, what people are reading about, what's the temperature. Um, <clears throat> and when it package of viagra gets lost in the northern territory and you're in london and it's 3 a.m it's very very hard to um, get any sleep so i did that it demystified a lot of health i think for me before dr tom healthcare was a black box you know doctors were weird magicians who studied for decades and who were always right um and i guess being a non-clinician in that world, pushing the boundaries. <clears throat> I got to see a little bit, you know, behind the, <clears throat> behind the curtain and how actually it's a lot of uh, training, but also a lot of <clears throat> instinct, <laughs> a lot of judgment calls, some that are right, some that are wrong. And um, that was really interesting uh, because suddenly doctors and clinicians uh, became mortals in my mind rather than these sort of white coated gods um but during this time so we were having lots of success doing private medicine for you know stuff like viagra the pill um uh, a little bit of statins but relatively low risk stuff i kept asking myself why is it that it's so easy for us to get this to patients but me getting my antidepressant every month is like just running a gauntlet what can go wrong does go wrong. All the systems are, you know, not quite broken, but they don't talk to each other. It's all paper. It's all admin. It's all, you know, calling up receptions and trying to get prescriptions and, no, you need to go and see the doctor. And I can't go and see the doctor. Okay, we'll write you a prescription. And going into the pharmacy and them not having enough medicine and stock and getting an owing slip and having to go back to the pharmacy and just repeating this every single month. And... So I met a guy who was in a very, very similar uh, position and we decided to quit our jobs and and just build something different, not with an emphasis on healthcare, but with an emphasis on convenience for people like us, as opposed to saving the world and transforming digital health. You know, it was really straight from the, I guess, the, the Deliveroo slash Uber playbook, like, how do I make my life easy? This is the pain in the backside. And so, 2015. Uh, I remember it was on the Eurostar coming back from my parents, and I thought, "Yeah, time is now." Handed in my notice the next day, and uh, took 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 the leap. Um, and uh, yeah, it's hard to know whether or not that was the right choice. <laughs> You'd never know the true cost of things. Um, but uh, today, Echo the pharmacy that we created is the second largest pharmacy in England and the fastest growing so it's 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 been an adventure um and i think you know through this adventure we have really moved on from just this pure proposition um of convenience to actually understanding the role that we ha- we play within a healthcare context i have you know gone very deep into medicines, adherence, and compliance, sort of become my my mastermind topic of choice. Um, And I think particularly during COVID, we have just seen how vital what we're doing is. We're not selling pizzas here. We're not an e-commerce company. We are an NHS pharmacy helping 250,000 people stay healthy and out of hospital. That's very, very different from when we started, which was how do I make my life easy? Um, But the two things are entwined because, you know, one begats the other. Make it easy for people to get their meds. Hey, presto, they're more likely to take their meds. More likely to take the meds, uh, it reduces the burden on the NHS and so forth. You know know the spiel. But um, we always approach things, I think, still to this day from that. What does the patient want? Not what does the doctor want? What does necessarily the pharmacist want? What does the patient want? Um, And the patient as a customer who can choose to go anywhere and do anything at any time so it's it's been an exciting journey
0: as you've kind of alluded to adherence to long to to medication for long-term conditions is pretty bad it's 50 percent, i think the last time i looked where do you see the major crunch points in that
1: yeah for me it boils down to two things get medicine and take medicine so if i take get medicine this is the the act of going and obtaining that packet of pills every month, every two months. And you would be really surprised how many people just cannot be arsed, okay? So you might be familiar with uh, the team at the Hurley Clinic, um, fantastic team. Uh, They're a a GP practice, large GP practice in London. They, uh, uh, Ross and Murray there tell a really interesting story. So they have a practice near me in south london and there's huge hedges in front of the practice and one day they decided it was time to cut back the hedges you know and you know for practice that's a bit of an investment it's you know beyond the sort of the day-to-day expenditures so right we're going to cut back these hedges and so uh gardner came in and what did they find in the hedge but i don't know tens uh in my mind it's hundreds, but I'm sure it was only tens of discarded prescriptions, FP10s. So someone had gone to the GP, said yes, doctor, had been handed a piece of paper, walked out and thought, nah, thrown it into the thrown it into the hedge. Bear in mind there's a pharmacy directly across the way from this uh from this hedge. So look. I think getting medicines, putting into people's hands is really important. There's lots of reasons why people don't do it. I mean, there's, you know, just inertia, can't be bothered. There's lack of understanding, you know, why am I taking this thing? What's it for? What's the difference between this pill, that pill, the next pill? There is, you know, a scarce story in the Daily Mail. Oh, suddenly I should take statins. I, you know, shouldn't take statins. You know, there's just a, a complete, you know, lack of, patient information i think there's also just this existential dread every time you take a medicine it is a reminder of your own mortality it is a reminder that you have a fixed number of days on earth it is a reminder that you know yes i should be watching my diet and yes i should be exercising and yes i should be laying off the booze you're taking this thing no one wants to take medicine it's just not a fun thing so what this means what this conspires i think is is that people just don't get the medicines and they find any excuse to to not get the medicines, so for me, step one in adherence is get medicine, put it in their hand, remove all the 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 admin around it, so that physically obtaining the medicine is the path of least resistance, and that's what we do at echo. You click a button, we send the order in it's always patient led, but we reduce the barriers um, The second thing is the trickier thing it's it's so talked about get medicine. The next thing is take medicine. Okay. So take medicine is once they have the medicine, how do you get them to actually be compliant? This is really tricky. This involves psychology, involves patient understanding, any number of different things. I mean, I know um, the you know perceived side effects of something is something that crops up a lot. So you take a medicine you believe it's causing xyz and you stop taking it as a result not understanding the risk rewards so i think a lot of the time people take stuff you know the doctor will make them aware of the um the side effects but when they start living it they don't really see the risk rewards. so a good example is the antidepressant that i take um there are uh real risk rewards so a couple of days ago i forgot to take it (laughs) i know the irony of that statement but uh Echo is not a a silver bullet yet. I forgot to take my medicine and I was climbing the walls um, because of the withdrawal uh, effects. Now, this is a real kind of, um, I guess, um, trade-off that I have to make, but I understand the trade-off. Taking this medicine also means that I can sit here with you and not cower under my bed, afraid of the world. So it's one that I'm willing to take, but I think there's lots of information uh, asymmetry between what a doctor knows, what a patient knows. And so if we can use the smartphone to help bridge that gap and drive understanding, then I think, you know, we can help people know that, yeah, I'm gonna take this. And if they decide not to take it, that's up to them as well. So, you know, voluntary non-compliance is brilliant as long as you're armed with the facts. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's just not that common. And then there's just stuff from, you know, behavioral psychology nudge. So when you sign up for echo, we remind you when to order, when to reorder, but we also tell you when to take your medicine every day. So I get an automatic reminder every morning that tells me to take my vanilla vaccine. And that just creates habit. It nudges me to it. I can turn it off, but most people, I think it's something like 97% of echo patients leave it turned on. Because it's just you know a notification. It's for your health. I think most people just have the view, yeah, it's fine. So I think the the take medicine thing is the next part of what we're doing, but it has to be built on get medicine. There are loads and loads of apps out there, brilliant apps that um, patients can download to help them medicine uh, manage their 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 medicine from a sort of a, a compliance perspective. But unless they link into the pharmacy and to the GP. You know, you may as well use Siri, you may as well use uh like Google Reminders, because they're pretty good too for that. Um so we kind of go on the basis that people are generally pretty pretty disengaged about their health because it's just depressing. <laughs> um, uh, uh, it's it's not fun taking medicine. And how do we just remove the all of the barriers around that? Um and maybe make it a bit fun, maybe make it a bit more interesting and expose some of the sort of the 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 the, the workings of the decisions that have um, been taken
0: yeah that's that's super interesting because to me it sounds like what you've done is you know with say diet and gym you there's one approach where you just you go to sleep in your gym clothes so when you wake up you're already in them you get rid of all the snacks in your house and you just make it as frictionless as possible to do the right thing and it sounds like that's what you've done
1: yeah we're, I'm, we're, we're trying um echo is uh one percent complete um and um you know every day we learn more i think particularly as our patient base grows the you know what started as an app for 33 year olds that was the age of myself and my co-founder um has now you know our average age now is like 55 years of age the use cases are really different Um, there's more significantly more women than men uh using it so you just get a different um, Different set of uh, medicines, different formulary. There, um, we have a lot more carers on the app now, so people using it to manage something else, and then a lot more complex patients. So, I mean, I I'm always fascinated by our cystic fibrosis population who use it because their needs are really like complex and are on so many different medicines, and you know, trying to, to sort sort out for them. So, um, we're trying to make it as frictionless as possible, and I take inspiration from, you know. Some of the apps that I, well, one app in particular that I love and it's for the most boring thing and it's Trainline. You know, like Trainline's come along and it's taken the most pedestrian boring thing of, you know, for me, it's usually going up to Leeds to see someone in IHS Digital. And it's kind of made it fun and, like, I like it and it's a fun platform to use. And I think we're trying to do something similar to that in medicine. Um, Not trying to, I guess, dress it up as anything that it's not, you know, let's not pre- pretend with sort of cartoons that, you know, hey, it's fun. It's time to take your metformin. Um, but at the same time, just making it so easy that, you know, it's just easier to take your medicine and be compliant than break the cycle. Um, and that's what we're, that's what we're aiming for.
0: I'm interested in, you you know, you said at the start that you're a 33-year-old and you kind of make Echo from that perspective. But as you've expanded now, you're appealing to both 55-year-olds and presumably like 19, 20-year-olds as well. And are you noticing that initially what you were using, so you've got this kind of like Deliveroo type thing, you've got notifications coming through. Are you noticing that different things are working for different groups better?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think a perfect example is using an app, it's something that you you and I probably take for granted, but it's quite fiddly. Um, if you have arthritis, if you've got any sort of, you know, motor skills issues with your hands, if you, um, again, you know, text on apps, um, you know, even I've got a relatively big smartphone, uh, the text on that is quite small. Um, so accessibility becomes a big issue. Um, so we see a greater proportion of our patients, uh older patients using the web interface and um and then of course with a web interface reminders don't work in the same way because even when you can have notifications on, on chrome or something um you have to be logged in and it has to be live for you to get them so you you know you have to think about reminders how you do things differently um we see a lot of our um oldest cohort of patients still using um feature phones so text messaging is huge in that population um text messaging is also huge actually in in in, in the younger populations when you need to get something done when it's a like you must do this now so um um it, it's it's interesting but i think the you know again coming from that convenience uh, convenience background we tried to make something very very cool um, and by trying to make something cool, you don't necessarily make it as accessible as it should be. Um, and so now I think the, the challenge for our design team and product team is how to make something that still is cool, is awesome to use, but can be read by someone uh, you know with uh, you know, serious accessibility needs. Uh, and that's a design challenge. And I think a really exciting one for all tech- technology companies um, as populations grow older um the you know small fiddly texts and tiny buttons it it's got to it's got to change you know is, if if we want uh people to um use our products
0: one thing i can't get my head around is your business model i don't understand how it works because from what i've seen you have an nhs prescription and then you sign up for echo and now suddenly for free it's being delivered to your door every time you need it how does that how does that work
1: so Let's just break down how a pharmacy makes money. So, a pharmacy gets paid um, effectively to exist, something called the establishment fee. Um, then it gets paid uh, an activity fee for every medicine item, so, packet of pills, uh, loosely, that goes out the door. So, and then it makes a uh, buying margin. So, you buy medicine from a wholesaler and you get reimbursed by the NHS um through something called a drug tariff. So the we we wear the postage costs which is the I think the big difference between us and a high street pharmacy which has a really, you know, serious impact on our bottom line. Where we make up the difference is in scale, is in volume. Um it's in having a large warehouse uh with you know a bunch of automation, bunch of processes that um, enables us to do things uh, more efficiently than what happens in a community pharmacy setting, where you know you're both manning the till and you've got someone in the back and they're going to and fro and that sort of thing. So the sort of the <laughs> the summary is is that volume. You cannot do this at subscale. You need tens of thousands of patients um if you're going to do nhs scripts i think the other thing is is that the the margin available has remained flat for years now um so there's an awful lot of pressure in pharmacy at large um and it's becoming you know difficult um to to operate uh because of that because while the margin remains flat demand is is going up right we're getting older even you know park covered for a minute it's it's just going up and up and up so we have an increased volume and demand from an older patient base and you know, um, new ways to use medicines, but the margin remains the same. So again, you need these efficiencies at scale, which is why you see, you'll hear the term hub and spoke used a lot in pharmacy. So it's, um, it's uh, an interesting time. It's, it's, it's hard, but I mean, we just make our money just like any other pharmacy, really. Um, We just have to do it at massive scale.
0: Let's take a step outside of ECHO for a second and look at this whole wider problem in general. Where, from your perspective, where are you seeing, where's the opportunity in this? Where where would you be looking to if you had to do something today and ECHO didn't exist?
1: Well, (laughs) I think there is probably three buckets that interest me the most. One is alternative treatments so be it cannabis or magic mushroom um dmt understanding what we can do to harness those for more effective treatments um um, there's lots of interesting research that you and your listeners will be probably more familiar with than me but i think there is a, a very um real need to 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 look at these alternatives now i mean piling people with benzos and opioids, it's not a good look. Um, and I do think there's there's will um, in the system to to try new stuff there. It's not going fast enough. You know, we now have a situation where, yes, it's legal to prescribe if you're a, a, um, a doctor, cannabis, for instance, but like there's just no infrastructure around that. People don't know what's what can they do, what can't they do? Is that legal? So I think you know we need NHS and Department of Health help, uh, help to to make this uh, more widely known, more accepted culturally. Um, so that's one area that uh, is interested. I guess every Tom, Dick, and Harry is is running into this very, very fast. So I would urge caution. Um, it's a uh, a land of cowboys and fast money, um, and you know we have to remember we are here to deliver clinical services um i think the second area that interests me is is hospitals so we have in england electronic prescribing uh service uh for primary care but there there's nothing that exists that's similar for secondary care now if you think about what a hospital is and in a patient's mind the delineation between the medicine they're given by their consultant and the medicine they're given by their GP. They don't don't make that distinction. They don't know what secondary and primary and tertiary care is. They just go and see a doctor who gives them a prescription. Um, And so I think if we want to uh, be smart about how we use hospitals and manage outpatients in particular, we have to find a way, a better way to manage their medicines, to get them their medicines. To air traffic control, what the GP's doing and what the consultant's doing, what's happening even between departments, to eradicate the paperwork, the, the, the admin that, um, that hospital doctors have to go through on this, um, and to bring it up in, a, you know, for one of a better word, a single patient uh, view for everyone. So we can say, okay, this is John, this is what he takes, so on and so forth. I mean, we have things like summary care record, but that has you know no record of what secondary care medicines you're on. So there's a big opportunity, I think, for someone to come in and uh, do an echo <laughs> on on secondary care, um, but it's going to be hard. I think the good news is in that sector is there's a lot more margin and there's a lot more uh, money um, because, you know, there's, there's, um, it's, it's, it doesn't have the same sort of uh, flat margins, but it's super fragmented. Every hospital, every department seemingly has their own way of dealing with medicine and management and so forth. So um that's the second one. The third one is is just really embracing our aging population, right? And and what that's going to mean, not just for healthcare, for anything. Um, we still don't have, I think, a strong cohort of brands that truly represent what these patients want. And I'll give you an example. So I'm 38 right now, so if I was, uh, Google's 20 years old, right? So if Google turned up today, I would be using it. I'd be a heavy user. You know, I'd be an early adopter of it. 20 years down the line, I'm 60. Am I going to stop using Google? No, I'm not. Am I going to stop using technology? No. So we have a you know a generation of 60 year olds who like Google is theirs. It's it's from their generation, and a lot of the you know. The internet that we take for granted is 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 theirs they're they're native to it and yet the the brands and the services that that talk to them can be patronizing they're not optimized for their changing needs they're not optimizing for as you know i said like you know arthritis they're not optimizing and and they can tend to be i think quite alienating so there's a big opportunity for teams to go hard onto this, into this market, uh, regardless of sector. I think the 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 challenge is, is that, you know, entrepreneurs tend to be younger. Startup people tend to be younger. Product teams tend to be younger. I mean, still, I guess the average age of Echo is I'm going to guess is 30, you know, whereas our patients are 55. So when you have 30 year olds trying to build stuff for 55 year olds, you have a gap, you know, a gap that needs to be made with research. So, uh, or it needs to be filled with research. Um, and so it's difficult. And also, frankly, like, you know, you've just gone, you've done your, I mean, you're, you're, you're a good example. I, I'm, I'm going to guess you're, uh, in your sort of mid to early twenties, uh, Mustafa, uh, you know, you're just not thinking about these things, <laughs> you know, that's why we have so many dating apps out there, um, for people trying to, meet their partners and, and 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 so 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 few decent ways to i don't know manage diabetes <laughs> so uh, it's trying to get into the head of this uh growing uh need and i think the second thing is is we just don't have a do- enough doctors or nurses to go around to to continue with the status quo you know we just can't keep on pulling people in for face to face consultations. And it, it, we just don't have the, the the staff. We don't have the we don't have the, um, the money to do it. So the technology has to solve this problem for us. Um, so I just get like, you know, freshly minted MBAs, engineers like go and spend a week in a care home and see what see what you find out, because I can guarantee you that is uh, um, not going to be wasted time no matter what you do. But whereas a financial service product, health product, even like, I don't know, like you think about some of the brands that are out there, like Saga, you know, Saga is the I mean, Saga magazine, it's um, it's this typical thing. When you hit 50, you get sent Saga magazine. It's like cruises and pensions. And it's it's a brand for, you know, that 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 time of your life. Dude, that's in 12 years time. I don't want. Excuse my language, I don't want to fucking saga magazine when I'm 50. Like, stop it. <laughs> like, I want something uh, that's going to inspire me and keep me young, but that will also adapt to what will no doubt be my changing needs um, as uh, a as user of health, you know, and user of products. So, yeah, just trying to find that like that match is a huge opportunity.
0: That's amazing. I love those three opportunities. Yeah, that's really cool. A penultimate question. Have there been any habits or ways of approaching things that have helped you along your career?
1: <laughs> yes. I think I think there is definitely one and that it that is so <clears throat> taking a step back. Research is absolutely fundamental to understand your your customer, your patient, what you're doing, but sometimes you just need to take a leap and everyone, when I told them I was going to start Echo, uh, resoundingly told me it was a bad idea. So it was a mix of, you know, this is pretty high risk just generally, and you're solving a problem that's already been solved. So, because when we started Echo, there was already online pharmacies, you know? It's not like there wasn't an online pharmacy. And on paper, they do exactly what we do today, you know? In the same way that before Uber, there was minicab apps. That did exactly the way Uber does it. And before minicab apps, you could call a minicab company and they would send someone around and so on and so forth. So, I think I got a strong sense from, you know, friends and and colleagues and really really knowledgeable people that we were solving a non-problem and so in order to push forward and it's it's particularly difficult when someone you really respect and really trust who you think is you know super smart tells you this having to just say okay but i'm going to do it anyway (laughs) thank you for your feedback uh, thank you, all hundred of you, for your feedback. Uh, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm just believing what I thought was true, and my co-founder thought was true in our, I guess in our in our stomach, which was this problem isn't fixed because we use it and it sucks, so we need to build something better. So I guess there's a there's there's a time where you just need to be quite bloody minded, and say we're going to do this, and. Um, that comes down from having an intimate understanding of what you're trying to solve. So I approach this as, as, as a patient um, who takes medicine, as I said, for 38 years. One of the things I see a lot of within digital health is doctors, entrepreneurs trying to solve problems for other people. So you know, it could be, again, an obstetrician, male obstetrician trying to solve a problem for a female patient. Um, and by all means, um, there's no reason why that can't be done. But you have to have a really strong sense of what you're trying to solve. So whenever I meet a clinician who's trying to solve something for their day-to-day, you know, it could be task management, it could be paperwork, it could be admin. But solving their own problems, I gravitate towards that far quicker than someone trying to solve a problem for someone else. Because I know that deep down, they will have a strong sense that this is a problem to be solved. They'll know what the problem is rather than something that, you know, frankly just might not be an issue, you know, um, or might not be the biggest issue, the most pressing issue. It might be a, I guess a, a you might be f- solving something that is just a, a feature of a wider thing as opposed to a, a core problem to solve in itself. So I think, you know, know, know yourself, know your problem. And, um, listen get the research but when you need to just push forward anyway
0: The uh, last question is i'm interested in this because you've got background in economics philosophy marketing uh you've come from the business world so maybe you'll have a bit of a different perspective but are there any books you would you would recommend reading
1: <laughs> i think the only the only book i'll recommend is um the confederacy of Dunces" by uh john kennedy o'toole so uh it was his only book, and um, it uh, keeps me sane when I read it and have to deal with some of the paradoxes of our healthcare system. Um, I will uh, let 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 your listeners find out more about that. It's not related to business or anything else. It's just a, a fantastic book that, uh, yeah, helps helps help helps me laugh. Uh, Catch twenty two would be another one. Um, again a lot of what we deal with on a day to day in a nhs context feels catch 22 um uh and you know it's um it just helps you laugh and helps you just i guess get mentally tough get tenacious um and um keep going in terms of business books um hmm I'd have to probably have a think. Not, none of them are really um, um, screaming at me. I think um, Lost, La, Lost and Founder is, is really good. Um, so Lost and Founder is by the... Um, it was actually given to me in the post one day by uh, Hamish from Thrive. Um, he just sent it to me um, out of the blue and it's by ran fishkin um so the guy who founded mods which is a search engine um and honestly if you want to get a, a, a real insight into just how hard it is to get a startup off the ground um he is super honest super direct and and frankly if you still want to start a company after uh, reading it then you're nuts uh- <laughs> um, I, oh actually and then there's one other that i really recommend and it's uh, on strategy it's a harvard business review compendium um so strategy is the word word that gets bandied around a lot and it's you know becomes quite meaningless sometimes understanding what strategy is and what it isn't is really really important i think understanding that strategy is a, involves trade offs and understanding what you're not going to do as much as you are going to do i think it's super important i'll give you an example when we started echo our ambition was to do everything. We were going to do online doctor. We were going to do AI. We were going to do the absolute lot. In fact, I'm pretty sure if I get a pitch deck from 2015, at this stage, um, you know, we're global in 15 markets. Um, reality is, is we're still in England. <laughs> uh, we're not even in Wales or Scotland. We're still, we're still, we're still just in England. But what's interesting is. And I think a turning point from Echo was when we decided to stop doing everything and get laser focused on becoming the best pharmacy that we can possibly be. And again, when I look back and at uh, on strategy and and some of the some of the um, the um, the papers in there, you know, it's quite clear that you have to make trade offs, and we weren't making enough trade offs at the start. We were trying to just keep everything alive just in case this happened, that happened, the rest. And um, I think doing it all again, I would just laser focus on doing one thing and, and owning it end to end. Um, and, you know, um, that book has has just helped solidify um, thinking around that. Most business books are absolute bullshit. They're an idea that probably merits 300 words expanded into um, – into, uh,
0: 100,000. So um, beware. <laughs> it seems like a lot of them could be better blog posts. Or... Oh,
1: honest, honestly, that's the thing. You don't get a publishing deal for a blog post. There's one really interesting thing. So, Paul Graham, um, ha, um, uh, one of the guys from Y Combinator, has a blog. And there's a post that he uh, wrote that has always inspired me. Uh, and it's called Do Things That Don't Scale. So it's about in the early days of your startup. Don't worry about how you're going to operationalize things. Just do it, um, and that's always been, I guess, a go-to for me when I'm thinking about you know what we should be doing at Echo, because I guess once you figure out the the, the product market fit, you can then back solve theoretically a lot of the um, a lot of the on scalability of it, um, if you will. So I'd really check out Paul Graham do things that don't scale throw that into um Google because it's a fascinating read. What I would have loved to have read though is part 2. Right, now you've done that what happens next? That's the bit that I've struggled with but thankfully I have an amazing CEO and COO who um deal with that stuff. Um I uh, I'm I'm like the kid who takes the toys out of the uh toys out of the toy box and and you know at some point you need to tidy it up and uh you know i've thankfully i've got a team of adults who um who do who who do that for echo
0: thank you so much i think you're one of the most interesting people i've ever spoken to so that was amazing
1: oh wow thanks i mean eric topple beat that
0: (laughs) i said one of (laughs) one of of, of. I hope you enjoyed that episode. You can find all my links by going to bigpicturemedicine.co.uk and if you've been enjoying the podcast, then please consider leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you.